Hi, this is Ronnie Barnett from The Muffs, and you are in the dummy room. Stick around, it's fun here. This is the big time, girly. This is rock and roll. Hey, what's up, guys? Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, I'm Nate. This is uh, this is the Dummy Room, the only punk rock podcast that has had four former bass players for the queers. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in. This is Dummy Room 128. Uh, big, big thanks uh, for everybody's support, all the comments, all the likes. Uh, this week, I am joined by uh, Jimmy from the Cap Gun Heroes and from T1 Fest. How you doing, dude? Jimmy! What's up, Nate? I'm excited about T1 Fest. It's coming up actually this weekend. Yeah, it's uh, it's right around the corner here, and we're really excited about it. Um, you know, right now with the pandemic, we wanted to be able to you know, still do something, even if it couldn't be uh, an actual live show. So we put together this streaming event, and we got a lot of support from a lot of great bands. Uh, we're going to have Dan Vapid on, uh, awesome. Jen and Polly from the Bomb Pops, awesome. uh, the Radio Buzzkills, um, and a bunch of other bands, and we're really looking forward to it. We think it's going to be a good time. Yeah, um, honestly, these, these, these fucking streaming things, very uh, hit or miss, mostly miss for me. I think I think a lot of people uh, jumped on them right away and they sucked. Um, I, honestly, there's been two this year that I've I've given two shits about. That's Reduno and T1 Fest. Yeah, we appreciate that. I think uh, you know we've we've really wanted to take our time on this and and hopefully we're putting together a good show that people can enjoy because we really think that uh, everyone really needs it. Um, especially as uh, summer has you know, now come to an end and we're really getting into the middle of fall. Uh, the weather's going to start changing for most of us. So, um, yeah, you know, we've, we've really worked and, and asked everybody to, you know, really take their time to put together a, a quality set. And um, we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, I, me too, man. I mean, I just, uh, I mean, we've become friends, of course. I, I'm My label, Hey Pizza, is putting out Cap Gun Heroes' album. Um, I was really excited this week when we, we, we finally got to kind of officially announce that. But um, yeah, I look forward to having you on and this fest. I know it's a, I'm excited for it, man. Plus there's good bands playing. You guys are playing, you guys are doing, you guys aren't doing acoustic though, right? You're doing balls out. Yeah, no, we're doing a full live set. Nice. Um, so, and I, I know uh, a bunch of the other bands are going to do full live sets as well. So um, we're really looking forward to that. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, we, we wanted to keep the momentum going that we, we felt we built last year and, and we've gotten so much support from so many people, uh, within the scene. And, you know, we have so many people that have, you know, worked to make this a success and we just wanted to keep it going and didn't, didn't really want to let, you know, what's going on in the world kind of slow us down. I mean, obviously there, there are many serious things going on right now with the pandemic, yeah. uh, the social injustice. So we, we really wanted to, uh, you know, you know, just not let a year go by and, and not, and not do something that we felt, 
uh, would really kind of keep the momentum going because it really is an important cause. I think that, you know, one thing is that it really is coming to light now with uh, the COVID-19 is having a pre-existing condition like diabetes, actually how, you know, how serious that is and, and, you know, how it gets affected by COVID-19 because unfortunately a lot of the people that are um, having severe effects and are getting very sick um, a lot of them have pre-existing conditions like diabetes, um, not only type one, but type two as well. So, um, you know, raising awareness for that. And then, you know, we're also going to take the opportunity to, be, you know, to raise awareness for other things that are going on and, uh, supporting our friends in the bands that are going to be playing as well, because we know they're going through some tough times and, and it is a free festival. So if people can, um, you know, if they, you know, we want everyone to come, you know, join the event, view it. If they have the means to make a donation or buy a t-shirt, great. If they can't, you know, obviously we're all going through these tough times together. Hopefully we'll be able to put together, uh, you know, a few hours of enjoyment for them. You didn't really talk about who was all playing, but um, of course, Vapid's doing an acoustic set. Just Vapid songs alone. I mean, the songs are fucking golden, you know, and just hearing him sing and play guitar. Oh, yeah, and he's, and he's got such a great catalog of songs. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I know he, he actually took to social media uh, with his announcement and was actually asking people uh, yeah. if there were some songs that they wanted <laughs> to hear. Um, of course, I, I threw out a Sludgeworth song because I'm a huge Sludgeworth fan. So, What's, uh, What song do you want him, what, like Someday or what? Yeah, I asked for Sunday just because I know uh, I love that song and I know my wife loves that song, so I know she'd want to hear it. Um, Everybody so, wants to hear that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is that is just a great song. So we'll see if he does that. But, I mean, he's got such a great catalog of music. Um, he can pretty much play anything, uh, I think, and it's going to – you know, there's going to be a song that you're going to say, oh, yeah, you know what? I really wanted to hear this one too. So um, – but, yeah, I mean – you know, Dan's going to play, again, like I said, Jen and Polly from the Bomb Pops. And, you know, Polly also uh, battles type 1 diabetes. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, the Radio Buzzkills are going to play. Uh, another one of your, uh, the Hate Pizza Bands, the Zonoids, who uh, have a new album coming out at the end of this month that yeah. I'm really looking forward to. Um, then we also have uh, a band from Chicago called The Usuals. Um, another band, uh, from Chicagoland area, death in Memphis. So, uh, and then, uh, we have a new band that, uh, we're going to be releasing on Punkhead, uh, the Letterman's who have a new album coming out, uh, actually November 6th yep. that are, uh, going to be playing and kicking things off for us as well. So we're excited about that. Yeah. I'm excited, man. I, it's like I said, if you're listening to this on the release day, it's, it's Saturday. Uh, just check it out, man. I'm in a, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We, we just need this. We need a little break from the pandemic the like you said all the bullshit the election oh my god i need a break from all this shit so just uh yeah it's gonna be some great music dude yeah no, it's gonna be a good day we're gonna have a lot of fun and um you know hopefully uh you know everyone who tunes in is gonna enjoy it i know we got a, a great response uh on the first day that we announced it uh over 300 rsvps uh for the for the event already so yeah we're really looking forward to it and uh really hope that our Everyone enjoys it. And it honestly, it's going to be fun for the first time uh, to really kind of play music for, for someone else other than ourselves and really get to see a lot of uh, great artists and great bands, uh, you know, play some music. I know Dan had mentioned uh, when his announcement, it's really the first time he's going to be doing anything live since the pandemic. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be, you know, really fun to just, you know, see everybody get back to doing what I think everybody loves to do, and that's play music. So, yeah, and this is all live. So, like, 
can Dan, I mean, what if Dan's like really in a good mood and liking it? Can he just keep playing? I mean, can he, how, how many songs do you think we're going to have from everybody? Um, you know, every, we're, you know, we're, we're give, we're trying to give everybody a good amount of time. I, I think some people are going to play for around 20, uh, 20 minutes. Some people might play for, for 30, nice. but you know, yeah, if Dan wants to keep going, I mean, <laughs> you know, and unfortunately I'll just have to, you know, uh, you know, cut some, some of the other bands off the zoom and say, Hey, sorry, you know, Dan wants to keep playing. So <laughs> you know, should have went first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, man. But I, yeah, I hope it's I hope it's a huge success this year, and I hopefully next year uh, life is not so shitty, and you can actually do a do a live thing and do it right. So let's let's all hope for that. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely the goal, and you know I think we're all holding out hope that things are going to get back to normal uh, sooner rather than later. But um, yeah, as soon as we get the opportunity and it's safe to do so, um, we're going to go back to continuing to put on. Uh, you know, really good shows. I mean, we had so much going on before all of this, you know, just kind of blew up on everybody. Um, but you know, the good thing is we, you know, we're all in it together. So we're, we'll all get through it together and hopefully be, you know, much better off on the, uh, when we get to the other side of it. All right, man. Well, Hey, I got, uh, it's almost Halloween. So I wanted to do this groovy ghoulies thing. And one of my favorite ghoulies is Dan panic. And, uh, he's coming in. Dude, do you want to, do you want to hang out and talk to panic with me? Sure, that'd be great. Coming up next, we got a guest, we got a guest. Coming up next, coming up next, we got a guest, we got a guest. Coming up next. All right, we are in the presence of punk rock royalty. Dan, you're one of my favorite drummers of all time. Um, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for the, uh, the compliment there. Um, I'm doing well, you know, considering uh, what's going on in the world. Um, and what other people are going through. Um, I don't have much to complain about. I've been working pretty much nonstop through this whole thing. Um, so, yeah, I haven't had a lot of time to sit down and really think about it, which is probably good because it's balanced out my depression, funnily enough, because I've always struggled with depression all my life. And since this COVID thing started, um, I have not had a suicidal thought or great uh, dark period of depression since then. So I think the outside world and my internal world have met up and balanced me out. It sounds really weird, but I think that's what happened. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time in my life where I've gone this long uh, without a great period of depression. And uh, I'd gladly change it to, to to change everything that's going on right now but uh but yeah it's it's the the strangest strangest thing so the rest of the world is fucked up and and it uh you've aligned yourself with that and it's like a double negative exactly makes yeah, sense. okay the fucked up <laughs> in my internal uh world and the external world have 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 met each other and like yeah okay this is about right you know which again i you know, I'd gladly change all that to, you know, to make this all go away. But when I texted you the other day, I expected you just because of uh, the pandemic and uh, the fires. I kind of expected your line of work to be um, kind of in shambles. But you said you were busy. So, yeah. 
Um, you know, it's what's really sad. Uh, you know, I feel for the all the winemakers, a lot of the wineries that have lost uh, property, a lot of them that are suffering because of the restaurants being closed, uh, the restaurants as well. Um, so it's we'll see where it all goes. But with the way the fires have been in California for at least the last five years, you know, I wonder how much a wine country is going to be wine country in the next 10 so, uh, yeah, it's it's disconcerting, and uh, we'll see where it all goes. But uh, people are definitely drinking more, uh, for <laughs> yeah. whether it's existential or political reasons. Uh, but I think people are like, you know what? If I'm going to survive during this bullshit, I'm going to need some alcohol. Is that true, Jimmy? Jimmy, are you drinking more in this pandemic? I mean, I, I drank a lot before, but yeah, I'm definitely drinking more now. And, you know, it, it's, it is amazing how, like you said, Dan, with uh, everything that's going on, how it, it's really kind of put things into a uh, perspective and yeah, you just, you remember, you know, just really like kind of sweating the small stuff. And now all of that just seems so meaningless and everything else that's going on in the world. It's just, you, you feel bad that he even, you know, complained about some of the little things. Um, you know, that we're going on and it just really put, this is all really put just so much into perspective, but yeah, I'm definitely drinking a lot more than I, than I was before. You know, it's funny that we actually, uh, the company I work for, we have an office in, uh, in Lodi. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm out that way a lot. And, um, we actually work with a lot of the wineries, uh, in, in Lodi and in Napa. And it's just crazy to think about, you know, what's going on there because of the pandemic, because of the fires, um, such a beautiful area yeah. and it, you know, it's, it, I was there maybe a year ago for, for meetings and it didn't even look the same then because of the fires, you know, when you're, when you're in Napa, it just the, the landscape is so beautiful and to see it kind of ravaged by the fires and now having to deal with the pandemic and everything else, it's just, it's crazy. Cause it is a really, uh, awesome place to go if you like wine. And I'm a it big really, guy yeah, too, it so. really is. I mean, just even the microclimates of Northern California are amazing. You can go two miles away from where you're at and it'll be, you know, five to 10 degrees cooler. It could be overcast. It's just really amazing. The microclimates in Northern California, uh, nothing that I ex experienced during living in the Midwest, uh, at all. It was like, okay, it's overcast. It's overcast everywhere. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. So what do you do, Jimmy? For uh... um, Well, I, I work for a uh, financial services firm doing uh, really kind of risk management and, and okay. data analytics. So uh, really boring shit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you hear our band, you'll know that we weren't good enough 20 years ago to uh, – to pay the bills with it so had to actually get a real job <laughs> but well, um i'm sure there are people out there that you know, like you know would say the same thing of any band that i've ever played in so <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if i would say that i'm a i'm a huge fan of pretty much all the the bands that you were in so <laughs> oh, thank you uh so what's what have you been drinking lately jimmy uh um Wine-wise, I've been uh, – I'm a big Cabernet guy, so I'm a big fan of Jordan. Um, oh, okay. I'm a big fan of uh, cake bread. Okay. Um, I, I like the uh, ZD wines. Yep. From out that way. Um, 
you know, I mean, man, there's just so many. Oh, um, I know it's overwhelming. It's it's you're talking not just domestically, but just uh, internationally, just all the different regions, grape varietals, soils, climates, uh, barrel aging. Uh, just there's so many facets to it that's really fascinating about wine. And I didn't start, I didn't get introduced to wine until age 39, and I'll be 50 next week. Um, and uh, I just fell in love with learning about it. Um, and I started with. European wines first, and then I went to domestic. So I want to get sort of start historically where wine started and then branch out from there. So I went from old world to new world. So I would say that my palate is, I'd say, more old world, but there's a lot of new world stuff that I like too. So hopefully uh, you make it out here again. Hopefully uh, we can have uh, a bottle of wine or two and, uh, and chit-chat just about life in general absolutely new format this is now a wine podcast so <laughs> i am not drinking any fucking merlot i'm actually uh, i don't i don't know I, i've drinking wine you know i've had roommates that drank the uh highly uh sophisticated boxed wine there's some there's some really great boxed wines out there by the way i think i think the last time you were on you mentioned that and i i just i don't know i don't believe you i guess but <laughs> Uh, there's some- it, it was I used to drive him to the liquor store and it was just whatever was the cheapest and it was always the shit in a box you know there's some great uh, European boxed wine out there uh, hmm. yeah Clos de Lumiere would be one that I would recommend uh, they do a uh, they're all from the uh, southern Rhone region of France they do a rosé a white and a red and those are all really great examples of terroir-based terroir wines, uh, but in a box. So they're not, uh, they're not swill. Hmm. And no, I don't work for them. Uh, <laughs> I'm not getting paid to, 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 to mention them, but I just, uh, that's, that's one off the top of my head. <laughs> so got to bring this up. Um, of course, the world lost Pierre Kesdi this past weekend. Yes. Um, let me let me ask you guys about uh, both of you about your thoughts on on Naked Raygun or or Pegboy and uh, Pierre himself. Uh, the only guys I met were Eric Spicer and John Haggerty out of the original Naked Raygun lineup, uh, but I never did get to meet Pierre. Um, I'd seen him play. Uh, I I got into Naked Raygun a little bit later and i think it was de rigor for anyone in chicago to have a naked ray gun shirt if you were into punk rock like you had to have one (laughs) (laughs) um but i really love throb throb and all rise i think even before i was in screeching weasel naked ray gun was the benchmark like i don't think anyone in chicago punk thought there's no way anyone's going to be bigger than naked ray gun um, you know, uh, they'd be able to sell out the the metro and places like that. And and back then, you know, they were the big leagues. Yeah, Jimmy. it was def- definitely very sad. I mean, you know, being from Chicago, I mean, Naked Reagan is just one of those bands that, I mean, you just gravitated to um, because they were just so good and um, the style of 
of music they played, uh, you know, it with especially his bass lines. I mean, it just stuck out to you so much. And then, yeah. you know, uh, for me, you know, they were just one of those bands along with Weasel that were really like just, you know, didn't just make you want to listen to punk rock music, but made you want to start a band and actually play it yourself. Like Dan was saying, it seems like everybody in Chicago loved this band, and they, of course, they never really achieved the the level of other bands, especially you know even bands from Chicago. But um, yeah, I I spent the past couple of days, you know, in and out of their, you know, discography, and and what a band! I mean, just truly one of the greats. Yeah, he'll he'll definitely be missed. Um, I actually, you know, going back to the naked ray gun thing and and connecting Screeching Weasel, uh, Screeching Weasel, we had done some demos, I think, in late 1991 at Steve Albini's house, um, and one of them was Selena and Going Home, 
And I think we did Danny's a wimp. I'm trying to think of if we did anything else. But uh, uh, Eric Spicer was there to produce. And uh, John Haggerty ended up coming uh, over, stopping by uh, Aldini's house. And Eric and John hadn't seen each other uh, since John had left Naked Raygun. And the both of them just started talking. It was just really amazing to listen to them both talk about their touring experiences. And uh, that 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 is something that I'll, I'll never forget. It was just watch, listening to both of them just laugh and talk to each other and just their experiences being in the band together. Uh, it was, it was, it was, for me, it was, it was really profound and uh, really amazing to be a, a fly on the wall sort of, cause I didn't really say anything. <laughs> I just, just watched and admired. You never, you never opened for Raygun or Peg Boy or anything like that? Uh, no. No? Nope. Uh, I did see Peg Boy's first show at McGregor's. I think it was their first show ever. Um, that was when Matt Nelson was the booker at, uh, at the punk rock shows at McGregor's. So I remember being there. And I'd seen Naked Raygun a few times, but never uh, played with them or opened up for them. Was, was Peg Boy a big deal at first? Was there a lot of excitement when Peg Boy first started? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he had... Uh, the effigies you had naked ray gun and bopal stiffs all wrapped up in the one so yo absolutely that's cool man yeah i'm actually going to their uh 30th uh anniversary show this weekend oh nice. uh, it's going to be at the uh well what it, well, i guess is usually called toyota park now is going to be the uh chicago drive-in okay so it's, it's going to be outdoors it's going to be them the bull weevils um and I think uh, local age as well, uh, so should be a really good show. I mean, I, I'm definitely craving, you know, live music. It's going to be a little cold, um, <laughs> but you know, I'll suffer through it for to be able to see them. Nice. How's the weather out there? Oh, uh, it was beautiful today. It was in the 70s, but by the weekend, it's going to be low 50s, and then at night, you know, borderline, you know, 39, 40 degrees. So it's going to be a little rough. Gotcha. Is that show? Is that when you say driving? Is that how does that work? Like you got to sit in your car or what? Um, yeah, I mean, well, basically, you know, they they you can you know they bring in the cars. I think the goal is to try to keep the cars eight feet apart, um, and you can kind of, you know, if you have a if you have a car, you can sit in your car with the windows down to listen. If you have a truck, uh, you can kind of pack you know pop up the back and kind of sit in the back of the car uh, and listen to it. So it's going to be my first experience with. Uh, one of the drive-in shows, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But you know, right now, uh, I, I, you know, I think anything is better than than nothing. Um, sure. With with not being able to get to see live music and you know so many of the great bands that you know we have that come through Chicago or are from Chicago. So um, you know, I'll take what I can get at the moment. Dan, how about you? Were you uh, you know, I know last time we talked, we you know we were kind of talking about maybe some uh, some new squirt gun in the future. Yeah, I I think that'll happen sometime within the year. Um, you know, it's it's really hard as far as all of us with living in different areas of the country and our jobs and everything. And, and you know, everyone except me has uh, children. Um, so 
we'll get there eventually. Uh, we'd actually texted each other about a, two weeks ago. Um, so hopefully that'll happen sooner than later. But we'll, we'll you know, uh, we'll see. I can't wait, man. It's been a long time. Everyone contributing uh, a song. Uh, I think it's going to be, it'll be broad. You know, we'll see what happens. Like, uh, you know, one of the things I like about Squirt Gun is, you know, we practice the set two or three times and then we play the show. So it keeps it fresh. And like, so we only play a couple of shows a year. But, but on the other hand, it, it, my nerves when those we got those few shows uh, get really racked beforehand, where I just start severely doubting myself, and like, oh, am I going to be able to do this? Oh, you know that sort of thing. Well, I I would love to see you play with Squirt Gun. I haven't haven't had that opportunity yet. So, uh, if there's a show, it's it's been such a fucked up year that maybe next year or the year after, if there is a show, maybe I'll just I'll just make the trip. Yeah, I definitely. If I if I hear of anything, if I know that we're playing any time in the near future, uh, I will absolutely let you know. You would block some got stuck in my throat, so I put on my best suit, waited in your room with a basket of limes and bibliography notes. Mm-hmm. you on the show because it's almost halloween 
And uh, so I kind of wanted to do a, a little pre-Halloween episode before the actual Halloween episode. <laughs> and um, of, of course, I, I wanted to do uh, I wanted to do something ghoulies, right? So um, I figured I would call you up and, and see if you could do it. And of course, you are wanting to do this. So, But first up, I want to ask you about Halloween. Are you a Halloween guy? I am... I think years of working retail, I'm not a holiday person. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's always the case whenever working retail, you get someone's like, oh, are you open on Thanksgiving? Like, yes, we are. Oh, that's terrible. What time? <laughs> uh, I'll be there. <laughs> every, almost every single time. It's like, oh, that's terrible. What time? Um, so it's a bit, uh, the holidays pretty much, uh, I don't have, a tremendous affection for and i think it's just more years of working retail but i would say out of uh all the holidays out there uh halloween would be groundhog day would be my favorite because no one celebrates that uh <laughs> and then number two would be uh halloween and i think a lot of it is uh it's the only halloween it's the only it's the only halloween jeez Let's try that again. Uh, it's the only holiday <laughs> where it really truly appreciate whether people realize it or not. They're appreciating paganism um, and yeah. and and individuality and creativity. Uh, it's it's the one holiday where people can get really creative and not follow any sort of guidelines. Uh, and uh, it's autumn is my favorite season, so. Uh, and the and Halloween has the better songs. Um, I absolutely loathe Christmas songs. Uh, again, years of working retail and having to hear nonstop for eight nine hours a pop, just every uh, Dick Satchel redoing a Christmas carol or Christmas song is just it. Yeah, <laughs> I could do without them. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Jimmy? You you a Halloween guy? Yeah, I love Halloween. I, I'm a big horror movie guy. Um, I, I just love everything about this time of year. Like you said, it, it, you know, everybody is, gets very creative, um, you know, tries to kind of, you know, I guess get outside their, their little bubble and, uh, really just kind of enjoy, um, you know, being something different for, uh, for a day. And, uh, but just, yeah, everything about Halloween, the, especially the horror movies, I'm just a big horror movie guy. I always have been. Do you have a favorite horror movie, Jimmy? Um, you know, I, I would like to try to say it was like something that was really unique, but I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the exorcist. And I think it's because my mother used to make me watch it when I was like five years old. Um, <laughs> and it just scared the living shit out of me. Um, and you know, you remember like, I think it was like maybe seven, eight years ago, they, they re-released kind of a, an updated version of it where there were even, freakier parts of her like you know doing a back bend and walking down the stairs and then pissing on the floor just everything about that movie uh sounds like being just, on tour yeah it just stuck <laughs> with me <laughs> and uh, so did your mom call you up and invite you over and make you watch it <laughs> jimmy come on over. <laughs> no she would just torture me i would she, you know we 
I'd be sitting out in the front room watching TV and she'd come in there and she'd put it on and then she, you know, I'd go to leave and she'd be like, no, you got to sit here and watch it with me and guilt me into it and make me feel bad. And then, you know, for like a month, I was like a little baby, you know, not wanting to, you know, walk around the house in the dark. So, you know, years later, you know, Linda Blair basically started doing softcore porn. So it, it kind of took some of the fear uh, away from, you know, the original movie. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, Nate, do you have a favorite horror movie? Uh, you know what? So I, I'm not a big horror movie guy. Like I used to, I'm a little like Jimmy. I used to love horror movies and I loved all the mainstream ones like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween as a kid, but they scared the shit out of me. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't be in a room alone. I, I would, I would be so, you know, just on edge. I would walk down the hallway. I'd have to look over my shoulder mm-hmm. and but I still watched them. I still loved it. I'd have nightmares. Didn't matter. They were just so entertaining. But now as an adult, somewhat of an adult, I I still like I don't like watching horror movies alone. And I, I get kind of on edge afterward. I'm not scared of what's there, but afterward I'm I'm always like because I, I daydream a lot and I start daydreaming that I'm in a fucking movie or something. But, um, <laughs> so I, uh, I actually, so, so on the next episode, I have been, uh, tasked with, uh, watching a bunch of horror movies, somebody else's favorite horror movies. You think I'm mad, don't you? <laughs> Perhaps we are both mad. So there's that. Um, I love Halloween um, now that I have kids, you know. When I didn't have kids, it was like my wife and I would uh, we'd dress up or something. We'd go to the bars. And, and now we stopped doing that. But now that my kids are old enough and they're dressing up and they're going trick-or-treating, of course not this year, um, now I, I love it because I love the excitement that my kids have of deciding what to be, you know, and – uh, two weeks from now, after Halloween, they'll be talking about next year, you know, or at least they would have last year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But well, I think that's, again, it's letting kids be creative, using their imagination, um, you know, and with technology at the fingertips of everybody, especially, you know, youth, that it's nice that they have an opportunity to do something with that creativity it doesn't require someone else's version of what you should be or how you should dress uh, yeah and so I, I the, the thing I like about it is again people excited about it people you know getting to dress up and express themselves <laughs>
as a kid, you used to dress up, Dan? Uh, yes. Yep. What was, uh, what was your favorite, favorite costume? Uh, none of the costumes were particularly spectacular, uh, but I think it was just being able to walk around at night and then, uh, and then get, you know, and then check the bounty of candy that you got, you know. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and the, the occasional pencil, uh, you know, like, here's a pencil. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get, um, how about you, Jimmy? What, as a kid, what was your favorite costume? Did you have one? Um, you know, I, I don't know if I had a, a favorite costume, but I, I do remember the worst one that I ever had, which was my mother made me dress up like fucking Rocky. <laughs> and it was like trying to st- me too <laughs> yeah i mean and she was trying to stick like silly putty on my face like to make my eye look like his and it's just the worst fucking costume ever did did you didn't have to like walk around without a shirt on in in october did you um not well not you know trick-or-treating but at, at the party you know because you got to yeah. go for, you got to go for realism even though you got a big giant thing of silly putty on your face you know so <laughs> Uh, you know, I think of my the worst one for me was uh, when we were living on the south side of Chicago, and uh, my mom put a snow my snowsuit on me and pinned <laughs> sign on me, Danny the astronaut. <laughs> 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 There's a picture of me as a child with that on. <laughs> like, what the hell are you? No, hey, read the sign. <laughs> a fucking astronaut. That's, yeah, that's when, when you have to label when you have to put a, a tag on you what you are. That's a bad costume. I um I've talked about it in the last couple of years, but uh, my mom, uh, probably nineteen eighty four. I was you know seven eight years old, whatever it was. She made me uh, an ET costume. Like ET was huge at that time, you know. And I mean this this costume was full on mask you know, head to toe, everything. And she made it all poofy with like filling and stuff. Um, yeah, I've got pictures of that one. That one's good. My worst one is uh, I have an old picture of like all the neighborhood kids when I was a kid. I was probably like four or five. And my mom, somebody decided that I should go as Casper. So it was basically uh, like white face with like a white hood. <laughs> so you know where this is going. So these old pictures, it's like, why, why, why did you dress me up as KKK? You know, and that's literally what it looked like. Worst costume ever. Oh, if you were on social media as a child and that came on, you would have, you would have been canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was you my cancel. That was almost the first commercial. <laughs> yeah, thank God it was forty some years, almost forty years ago now. You know. Or else, yeah, I'd be in big trouble. But yeah, it's, it's pretty funny stuff. Uh, it's amazing what you know. Parents tried to do with you know the the meager funds they had. Uh, you know, there and there was that creativity is like trying to make something out of very little sometimes. Yeah, like scavenging around the house, like oh, I can do something with this, or I'll put this on, and yeah, my kids actually this year, you know, there's no trick or treat. I don't know how it is down there. Jimmy or out there, Dan, but, um, I, my city has no, no trick or treating this year. It's kind of a, a law, I guess. Yeah. They're, they're allowing trick or treating by me this year. Uh, there's just some pretty strict guidelines. Um, they want, you know, you, you can basically, 
you know, wrap up the candy. They want it all individual bags. They want it kind of left out outside, um, you know, on a table and, you know, you're going to go with the honor system that, you know, kids are going to take one at a time. They don't want no one going to the door, uh, things like that. Um, so it's, it's going to definitely be a little different, but you know, where I live, um, my subdivision, I'm really close friends with all my neighbors and all their kids. Um, and we've all kind of been quarantining together over this whole time, uh, because for the most part, everybody works from home. So we're, we're definitely, we, we, we always do every, you know, something really special for all of those kids. Cause you know, my son's older, so it's, they're, they're kind of like, you know, our, you know, they give us that ability to kind of spoil the, the younger kids. So we'll, we'll kind of, you know, hook them up, but yeah, it's going to be really awkward. Cause I, I, that's one of the things I do like is kind of sitting outside with my wife, you know, kind of getting the fire pit going, you know, opening a bottle of wine and just kind of seeing what, you know, all the kids are, you know, dressing up this year and, you know, cause they're just so happy and they, you know, they're coming to get candy. So it's, it's, it definitely is uh, going to be depressing that they're, you know, they're not going to have the holiday. I, I think the way they should, cause I know this is, I think this is definitely probably the kid's favorite holiday every year. Um, but yeah. yeah, at least they'll have something though. Um, it, it is going to be an awkward year though, but that's just 2020 for you. Yeah. And I think it's that uh, Halloween is the one time of the year where it's socially acceptable for children to get totally loaded on candy. <laughs> get sick. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. This guy at the school that I've been working at lately, he has, he told me a good idea. So I have a four-year-old and he can't go trick-or-treating, but he said to do like some, uh, uh, like the pumpkin man came kind of like the Easter bunny, like the Easter bunny comes to your house and hides, hides fucking eggs he said have the pumpkin man come to your house and hide candy and then your kid can dress up run around the house searching for the uh, for candy so that's what we're gonna do i think all right at least make it somewhat fun for him not just you know sitting in the house watching scary ass movies or something well if you're looking for a movie recommendation nate you know the exorcist you know kids at four (laughs) years old absolutely love it and it it doesn't screw up their life trust me yeah i was not a big horror fan because uh, most of it never scared me. And so, but my favorite and one of my favorite movies of all time is Rosemary's Baby, uh, the original. I love that movie. I wouldn't say it's yeah, really that... a horror movie so much as maybe a psychological thriller, but uh, it's kind of kitschy and, it, and the dream sequences are amazing. Um, yeah, I just really enjoy that. Yeah, no, it's a really good movie, and it, and it holds up. And that's the one thing about like a lot of the older horror movies uh, from when we were younger. They just don't hold up. I mean, if you watch A Nightmare on Elm Street now, you're like, this movie was so scary back when we were younger, and now it's just <laughs> awful. I mean, the, the ending of that movie with the doll kind of getting pulled, you could just tell it's a doll. It's just so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I can't believe I was ever scared of this. It's Freddy. You've got a secret that you wanna keep. You know I'll hunt you when you fall asleep. Try not to stay up. I haven't slept for days. You know that I'll find you even when you taste. I love it when you scream. Reanimation Festival. Classic album, man. I, you know, you've been a part of a lot of classic albums, Dan. 
And uh, this is another one, you know. It's actually, I, I think this is an essential pop-punk record. Um, the Ghoulies had, uh, you know, they had lineup issues, several lineups. But this record's lineup was so fucking stellar. I mean, just to have you and B-Face, you know, with Kepi and Roach is... That lineup should have been all their albums. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, the thing about the Ghoulies, they had the punk rock thing, but to me, it was uh, infused with classic rock and roll. And uh, touring with Kepi and playing with him, like he really loves music. He lives and breathes this stuff. I mean, he. You know, just the mixtapes he would make on for touring. Uh, he turned me on to a lot of stuff. Uh, he really did. And his repertoire for music is vast. And uh, he, he he loves rock and roll, you know. And yeah. that's the one thing, that was one of the things I really liked about the Ghoulies was it wasn't just punk rock. It was rock and roll. There, there were roots there um, that were you know, deeper than just whatever was the flavor of the week at the time. Um, and it showed, you know, and I think his enthusiasm turned a lot of people on to uh, bands or artists that they would have maybe never paid attention to in the first place. Like, I think I mentioned this on a, a previous podcast with you, but um, I always thought Neil Diamond was kind of schlocky and I'm like, oh, God, awful. <laughs> and we... We drove from Sacramento to Los Angeles, and you know he was trying to win me over on the Neil Diamond thing. I'm like, nah. So we listened to this uh, three-disc box set that he had on tape, and we listened to Neil Diamond the whole way there. And I became a convert. I mean, uh, you get past the sequin shirts and everything. Uh, an amazing songwriter. Um, but you know, there's that. It's kind of like with Elvis, there's certain artists where you, you, you know, you think of the suit. It's like the Johnny Bravo Brady Bunch episode. You fit the suit, you know, yeah. and you get past this, uh, that image and you really listen to the music for what it is. And it's, I mean, what an incredible songwriter. And so he really turned me on to Neil, Neil Diamond. Another Neil he turned me on to was Neil Young. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, I mean, the, uh, the Poo Sticks, uh, great power pop band, uh, from the UK. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. How did you end up in the Ghoulies? Uh, what happened, I think, uh, Lookout suggested me as a replacement for Wendy because the Ghoulies wanted a tour and Wendy had a job where, you know, she actually made money and, uh, and she had good benefits and everything. So she wasn't able to to tour and they had mentioned me um and so the ghoulies had played the metro with the queers and screw 32 and that's where uh i met them and uh they stayed over at my then wife and i's our apartment in chicago so it was through lookout uh their recommendation and lookout did that with me with pansy division too because pansy division on a green day a leg of a green yep. tour uh, look how it recommended me as as uh, a possible drummer. So uh, I think those that look out for recommended me. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy, how about that? Your label comes to you, you need a drummer, and they suggest Dan Panic. How big of a no-fucking-brainer is that? I know. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, it seems like it seems like a pretty easy choice. Yeah, like Dan, I think before we had talked about all the all the the bands that you were in that were on Lookout, you know, of course the big bands, but um, I I didn't do the math. I didn't go back and I I didn't go through the Lookout catalog, but you have to have been on more records than any other individual. I don't know. I mean, think of all the Weasel records, uh, the Queers record, uh, the Ghoulie stuff, River, the Riverdales, uh, you know. I mean, you did a lot of stuff. Y- you know, and... Pansy Division. I, did you record with Pansy Division? No, unfortunately. Wish I did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, uh, I think at the time, you, you don't think about oh, what's this going to be like in 10, 20 years? I mean, yeah. I don't think even at the time when this was all going on, I never thought that, you know, years later, people would be still talking about this stuff. Because I don't think anyone that came from that ever thought that was a possibility. You know, that was for bands like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, you know, Motown and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. It was like just a bunch of, you know, punk rock kids you know no one ever thought that any of this stuff would be remembered in any significant amount of time so it's kind of hard to put that in perspective it was just like uh just kind of do what you do you know uh and i was also uh you know putting myself through college and working and you know it was just one of those things where you just you just lived your life and an opportunity came and like, Oh, I really like these guys. Like, sure. You know, it was, it was really casual. There weren't contracts and well, you know, talk to my people and talk to, you know, it was just like, are you interested? Like, yeah. Like, okay. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, a a a huge ordeal. You know, it was like, are you interested? Yes. Okay. Did it help that it was the Groovy Ghoulies? I mean, it wasn't. They weren't a new band. They were pretty well established. Few albums out already. Mm-hmm. I mean, that had to play. And then Pansy Division, same thing. Of course, they had records out, and they were going to go on tour with Green Day. So you know, the shows were going to be good. Um, it wouldn't <laughs> have made a difference. No, because um, I've played in other bands. Uh, you know, after you know, you know, much later in in life that. Uh, very few people know about and you know they're uh, sparsely attended shows and everything uh to me really what it comes down to is do i like the music uh it doesn't matter like oh well they're established or um or there'll be a lot of people or anything like that it was, uh, everything that i've ever any band that i've been a part of a small part of um has always been, do I like the music? Um, so it didn't. It didn't matter to me whether they were established or they were big or they were going to get popular or if they knew people that knew people that knew people that could network and it, it, that stuff doesn't cross my mind. It's like, is this is this good? And uh, is this something that I can you know contribute to? Is there is you know that's that's what it comes down to so there isn't a band that there isn't a band that i've ever played in where it was like oh i'm just doing this because it's a gig or i'm just doing this for money or like no uh well, music's too precious for me um to look at it that way 
you know, uh, there have been bands where you have volatile relationships and everything. Um, you know, sometimes you're not getting along with each other. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the music. Um, and that's, you know, uh, and that's what it's always been about for me. If people like it, that's, that's a plus, but, uh, I have to like it first and, yeah, if I don't like it, then it's it's a waste of it's a waste of other people's time, and it's a waste of my time because they might find someone that may really want to be doing, you know, playing in this band or with this artist or whatever. Or I might be like, no, nah, it's, it's it's not fair to anybody. No, there's no sense of half-assing music. My attitude is always try to play play a show like it's your last. You joining the Ghoulies was like, it seemed like the perfect fit. You know, I mean, I th- I think, I mean, I liked the Ghoulies stuff before that. This album, and, and, you know, it was like next level for me. You know, it really, I think a lot of people fell in love with the Ghoulies because of this album. You know, the production was great. And, you know, the knowing, maybe just knowing that you play on a record helps. I mean, that sounds kind of weird, you know, but it's like sometimes... The players who you might not even think about, you know, you find out that they're they're on the album and it's like suddenly there's more appeal, you know? Uh, it's hard for me. I'm hypercritical about my drumming. So um, it's hard. For that's me. that's crazy. It's, it's, probably, <laughs> it's it, no, it's really true. Uh, anyone who, who knows me knows I am extremely hypercritical. I remember one time I played a, a show in Detroit with Squirt Gun. And I felt like I just blew the gig, and I was almost I was on the verge of tears because I was so disappointed in myself. Um, I get that way. I'm really, really fucking hard on myself, uh, and uh, I've always been that way. Um, yeah, so it's hard for me to say whether I'm a, you know, a good fit for something or not because. Uh, it's hard for me to look at it outside of it. And again, I'm before anyone else criticizes any you know, my drumming. I'm I'm like, up, oh, dude. I already <laughs> I've already been there <laughs> about two hundred <laughs> about two hundred times. So uh, yeah, nothing you say is going to shock me because I've already probably decimated myself, my ego. <laughs> Man, that. It's so crazy because, I mean, I, I wanted to be a drummer because of you, you know? And it's because of, you know, like My Brain Hurts and Anthem. I wanted to play drums because of that, you know? Thank you. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe putting a flame, uh, flame on my backside kept me from being complacent, um, taking things for granted, um, not resting on laurels, um, you know, and I appreciate the accolades because I'm not on social media, so I'm pretty oblivious to what people, for the most part, I'm pretty oblivious to what people think out there of anything that I was a small part of. Um, and it's probably healthy for me because <laughs> I thought I would, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I would probably grapple with it a lot more than I already do. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a it's it's a, it's a love hate relationship, and I think anyone who plays music uh, eventually gets to that point where it's it's you know it, it it can get that way. I think especially if you care about it a lot. 
Um, Jimmy, you want to join in? Jimmy's, okay, <laughs> let me tell you. J- Jimmy's in a band called the Cap Gun Heroes, right? And uh, Dan, the first time Jimmy, it was about a year ago now, Jimmy was on the show and it was basically like talking about his fest. And he, he mentioned his band a couple of times and, and it, it wasn't trying to sell them. You know, he wasn't saying much. And it was kind of like, well, we'll send you some demos or something, you know. And like I said last week, like six months later, so Jimmy sends me a link to, you know, Capcom Heroes Bandcamp site. And they have this five song EP up. And it's literally one of the best things I'd heard in years. And I was blown away by it. And a lot of people were blown away by it. And, um, and Jimmy's kind of the same way. Every time I talk to him, it's kind of like, well, I hope people like this. And yeah, no, I, I, I completely understand what, what Dan's saying, because I, I feel that way today. I mean, I was today, I, I left work, went to the studio, was tracking parts for a record we got coming up. And, you know, it's, I think anytime you're involved in that creative process and you're part of writing the songs, you're, you're going to be extremely critical of yourself because one, you're, you're hearing them more probably than anybody else who's going to hear them for the first time. Um, but I, I think it's, you just always want to do better. You always want to write a better song and it's, I don't know for, at least for me, I find it really hard to be, uh, content with anything we're doing. Um, and you know, for us, I mean, we're, we're not even, you know, the same league as any of the bands that, uh, you've been in, I mean, you, your band, all the bands you've been in are really a big inspiration to all of the music we write. Um, but it's just, you just want to write that song. And to me, I, I, you know, if, if one person likes it or 10 people like it, um, you know, it's so humbling to think of, you know, anybody, you know, liking something that you took the time to create yourself. Um, and, but you, it just kind of drives you to always want to do it better the next time around. And, um, you know, you almost feel like, are, do people really like it? Is it, is it, you know, actually, you know, any good at all? And, but I, I think it drives you to continue doing it. And it, it you know, but the, the main thing is, you know, as long as you love playing music, it's going to, uh, you're going to want to keep writing songs and, um, you know, it's, it's been really humbling that so many people like the last EP and, uh, some of the new stuff that we've, we've released, uh, as far as some singles. And, you know, we're hoping that the record we're, we're working on now that we put it out that, uh, you know, a lot of people can enjoy. Cause I think that's the one thing now with the music that we like and the music we want to play is we know there's this bubble of people who really appreciate it. And as long as they appreciate it or, you know, the, you know, they, they like to listen to it. Um, that's all that matters to us. And I mean, getting out and, you know, when, when things get back to normal, just getting out and playing shows and, you know, just having fun being with, you know, everyone at a show is, is one of the best experiences that you can have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there are going to be a lot of tears coming from people on stage and in the audience when people are initially starting to play shows again. Um, because there is that connection, I, you know, I think the one thing that keeps the world together are the arts. And I've said that a lot to a lot of people. I think there's something about the crux of wanting to achieve perfection in imperfect people in an imperfect world. And I think people respond to the vulnerability of someone, uh, sticking their proverbial neck out to try to do that. 
And I think that's, you know, and everyone, not everyone is going to experience uh, a song or, uh, or food or wine or anything in the arts, whether it's photography or fine arts. Everyone, that's a great thing about arts is every, there's no right or wrong way to, for someone's personal uh, reaction to a song or anything in the arts. And I think that's the one thing that throughout the ages, uh, people in power have always tried to control. And there have been many instances in history where people have tried to ban arts. Uh, there's that expression that, that reaches people globally that you never thought you'd ever reach. I remember when we first started getting uh, Screeching Weasel, we started getting you know, you know, uh, letters from around the world of places we've never played. And you're like, how the hell did they get to it? And, and, and it, you know, you could be anywhere. You could be from New York, you could be from Budapest, you could be from Japan, you know, and, and regardless of cultural and language, language differences, that can beat somebody. And that's the, the great thing that I've always loved about the arts. Um, is it's the one thing in the world that brings people together in a world where there's so many aspects of of life where there are institutions trying to tear people apart. I rambled on there. Apologize. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking, Jimmy? Uh, I just cracked open a 312 right now. <laughs> My long-winded uh, response to that. And so I will be... Uh, Checking out your band uh, tomorrow morning. I, can't I appreciate that. Yeah, love to love to know what you think. You're not on social media. Maybe you haven't heard the news. I'm pregnant. You're not. Pre well, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I'm not a seahorse. <laughs> Reanimation is being uh, uh, re-released. Yeah, I, I found that out a week ago. Uh, 
I I don't know if it was through punknews.org or somewhere, but I saw that. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, it's the original. You know, it's it's not a re-record. It's uh, the original one, October 23rd. So coming up here, uh, it's it's going to be out on Stardom. Uh, you can get it from uh, Stardom, The Machine Shop, Eccentric Pop. Cool. You know. Oh, nice. The Machine uh, Shop and Eccentric Pop. Pop. Love both of those. Yeah, and uh, oh. it's got new artwork. Nice. Um, yeah, well, I'll be, uh, I guess I'll be buying my copy soon. <laughs> I, I, how does that work? You, can you get a free copy from Kepi or what? Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, I don't <laughs> have a lot of contact with, uh, you know, again, not being on social media. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll get a copy somehow. When's the last time you listened to it, Dan? I want to say 2000. 20 years ago yeah that sounds about right uh wow i did a thing where i listened to everything that i played on it was kind of me uh listen to all the, the punk rock stuff that i played on and then uh yeah so do, do you how do you when you think about playing on this album how does that how do you reflect on that is that i mean are you I don't want to say more proud of it or less proud of it, but where does it kind of fit in with with your with your own view of your own you know personal music history? I mean, Screeching Weasel, The Queers, uh, The well, Ghoulies. I think this was the first album you could really hear the drums. <laughs> they're they're out there, yeah. Yeah, um, and so this was recorded by Mass, right? Yes. And was that? I mean, did he kind of? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speak for him, but I I always think that maybe he listened to the old Ghoulies records and kind of thought, this is what they need. And he finds out Dan Panic's going to be playing drums and has a field day. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just came in and played the drums. <laughs> so I don't know if they're, you know, I think maybe Kepi and Mass had had a, you know, uh, a, a telephone meeting or something like that. I I, I don't know, but um, yeah, I just came in and and you know, and it was I would one take. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of one takes. Um, you know, there were only a couple times in my recording career where they weren't full takes, but they're occasionally where it'd get up to six or seven uh, takes of something. And I get really upset because I feel like I was wasting people's time. Um, I like to get things generally done in like one to two takes. Uh, and say most of my playing were between one and three takes. <laughs> and, and this is why Lookout wanted you to play on all the albums well uh, I, I you know i don't know <laughs> they were fronting the bill <laughs> I, I think one i wasn't uh a, i wasn't an alcoholic or a drug addict um yeah and i learned things quickly um so how when like on this album how did you learn the songs were you, did they send you a tape of the demos or did you just come in and bang them out i think with keppy i think uh I went to Sacramento and he'd show me Ding. <laughs> Ding. He'd show me a song and then we'd go through it. I think that's how it went. And then Roach, I think she was working for the government at the time. So when she came home, Kepi and I would have, you know, the song sound. So I think we did like two days of that. And then, hmm. um, but I think it was a very quick 
period of time. It wasn't some uh, really uh, dragged out, you know, dragged out sessions or tearing the the song to pieces and analytically looking at it and like, <laughs> well, you know what I think, you know, it was um, what I really appreciated about coming from uh, into the Ghoulies was it, it had definitely more of a rock and roll. Like Roach had a little bit of that Chuck Berry, uh, oh, yeah. you know, some of those Chuck Berry riffs and, uh, you know, me being a fan of just rock and roll in general, it, you know, it was really refreshing to have a bit more of that rock and roll feel in the world of, of melodic punk or pop punk, because uh, there wasn't a lot of that at that time. And especially, like I said, Catby and Roach, their, their roots were a lot deeper uh, than most folks that I knew or with, were in the, the scene, as it were. Hey, this is B-Face here, hanging in the dummy room where LSD makes you smarter. I, I've been listening to this record for the last few days quite a bit. Um, let's just do a quick uh, run-through on the songs and, and see what see what we can get out of you. Uh, track one, Tunnel of Love. Met her at the haunted mansion. She said I look like Charles Manson, yeah. But I persisted though, and won her love, you know. But like clouds floating up above, the haunted house was our tunnel of love, yeah. The first time she sat next to me She said I look just like E.T.O. Oh yeah The next thing that you know I was her Romeo She finally came around in that haunted house, I love was found now, yeah. All
great opening track. Uh, I, I always thought it was just a fun, a fun love song, like like only Kepi can write, you know. And uh, that thick uh, buzzsaw guitar, and half the song is the intro, right? It's just that big guitar and Kepi just at his finest, and it it's sort of this uh, this. I don't know, like unknowingly ascending song, you know, you it doesn't, it just feels like an intro, but it's building to something and yeah, two verses, no chorus and it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, the thing, uh, like I said, I haven't listened to the album in a long time, but, uh, there's a lot of space in those songs. You can hear everything, uh, very clearly. And that was one thing, like it was, uh, as opposed to it being really compressed, or everything sounding kind of boxy there was uh it was almost like driving uh, from an audio standpoint uh, anything else that i played on it was felt like i was it, it felt like driving through a uh open open landscape so that's that's uh, sonically that's what that album reminds me of is very like wide open uh you can see, you can hear everything. Like I equate it to, to, to that. It's got a nice live sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what do you think of that song, Jimmy? You know, I, I I like that song a lot. I actually I really like the whole album. Um, I, like you said, I really think it has uh, that rock and roll feel to it. Um, definitely, kind of a, more of a raw sound. And I mean, obviously, just. You know, like you said, really songs like Only Kepi Can Write. Um, Graveyard Girlfriend, one of my favorite Ghoulie songs. Um, just another awesome Kepi love song, you know. I, I, I just love, I mean, I, I like the fun, silly side of, of like the horror movie genre, you know. That old, whenever they made the really funny, maybe they weren't funny at the time, but now they're they're kind of jokey. But I just love that, um, the aesthetics of that. And when you write a song about it, it's, it's, you know, it's not dark. It's not demonic. It's just, it's just rock and roll fun. Yeah. I, uh, one, like as far as Kepi and the lyrics, uh, it was, to me, it was a really solid balance of whimsical and profundity. Um, like there There'd be moments like, oh, this is kind of goofy fun, and he throw a line in there. You're like, oh, that's that seems a little deeper than, <laughs> you know. And that's the one of the things I liked about it was he was able to write very succinctly, make his point without being too floral with the words. But uh, there was the whimsy to it, but there was something a little deeper to it as well, you know. And uh, and I think it's one thing maybe a lot of people don't pick up on Kepi's lyric writing. Um, or maybe they do. I don't know. But Kepi's got great lyrics. I mean, that song has the line, uh, uh, "I'll lie next to you in a beautiful coffin built for two. Mm-hmm. That's that's a pretty clever line. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's sort of, it's I guess it's it's fun dark. You know. Exactly. Like he can take he can take something that maybe someone would take as a negative and spin it into a positive. Yeah, like I said, one of my favorites. Of, of all the, throughout the whole Ghoulies catalog. Love that song. All right. How about That's That? So when, when you, rec- when you're, I guess when you're, when you're learning these songs, 
are you just playing whatever you want to play or, or is Kepi kind of like directing you? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I tried to keep a little bit of that because that was the thing too. What I liked about the Ghoulies thing was that rock and roll thing, but there was that Ramones thing where, you know, keeping it direct and simple. So it was a little bit of trying to keep a little bit of that in Ramones influence, but also a little bit of the rock and roll influence. And again, uh, as far as Kepi's vocals, um, what I really liked it was sort of like a garagey uh, Mick Jagger uh, quality. <laughs> like there was yeah. sort of like this very like it was. Uh, I I really liked the Rolling Stones a lot, and but he had he had a little bit of that like. He had a little bit of that Mick Jagger quality uh, vocally um, to me. I'd say like the younger Mick Jagger. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I liked it because it was just such a short song, you know. It's just, uh, and you know, that was the great thing too. Is you know, like, uh, well, there's other songs on there, but we'll go through there. But I, I, it's the line, um, you know, it's basically what four lines four or five lines yeah. and it's uh i need you like the flowers need the rain i need you like zombies need brains yeah <laughs> i mean just take that kind of you know obvious corny line flowers and rain you know and then you throw in that fun like, like, zombie help <laughs> <laughs> again talking about you know kepi's uh ability to uh take something that someone might roll their eyes at and then the next line like ooh. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yet not make it seem like it's threatening, you know, not trying to be like Mr. Tough Guy or anything like, yeah, you know, just, yeah, he's able to, to sing those songs with a smile on his face and love in his heart. So next up, we have uh, School is Out. Now, I always thought this song was so cool because somehow he can pull off a song that's got literally two lines in it and... And it doesn't seem like, I mean, it's pretty repetitive, but it doesn't, you don't feel like you're like in a Groundhog's Day kind of thing, you know? Right. Maybe that's because the song's, you know, mega short, you know? <laughs> but it's just that catchy. Yeah. But they're good lyrics too, though. Yeah. I mean, they really are. The, you know. Just because you went to school doesn't mean you're smart. And just because you say you, you, say love, you love me, you love me. Oh, I still remember. Hey. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it, actually, a lot said in those two lyrics or yeah. those two lines. Just because you've been to school doesn't mean you're smart. But just because you say you love me doesn't mean you love me. Just because you've been to school doesn't mean you're smart. And just because you say you love me doesn't mean you love Hey. 
Chupacabra. This is a song, you know, it's probably one of my least, it's probably my least favorite on the record, least original on the record. Um, just that, but it has that, I guess that, I don't know, that, that Ghoulies kind of spy guitar sound. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? It's like spy music. It's got sort of like a, a Southwest, like, it's like sort of like a Southwest surf thing. And I think yeah. at the time too, there was, I think that's when the Chupacabra uh, hysteria was at its peak. Uh, to, <laughs> yeah. So it was topical for the time. No one really talks about the Chupacabras anymore. No, no. I think uh, Ghoulies and Chicks Dig It just kind of overdid it. <laughs> um, let me let me ask you, who writes these the Ghoulies riffs? Like, is it is it Kepi or is it Roach or both? Or uh, I think it's mainly Kepi. There's some really cool ones. Yeah, I like Chupacabra. I thought it was a it's a good song, but I, like I said, I'm a big fan of the entire album. How about Zombie Crush? Okay, I got to tell you. 20 years ago, I thought this, and fucking earlier today at work, I thought every time I've ever heard this song, I swear I think of, do uh, you guys know that movie, Say Anything, John Cusack? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. It reminds me of, you know, Lily Taylor when her character is playing that Joe Lies when he oh, cries yeah. song. Yeah. I don't know why. I've listened to him kind of side by side. They're not even really close, but there's something in that, intro guitar that makes me think of that every time. <laughs> that, that sort of sadness. And I know that at the time there were people that didn't care for that song. I think because there was, again, that era where, you know, everything had to have a distorted guitar. Um, I really liked it. I think a lot of people in the punk rock scene would be at that time would have been afraid to do something like that. Um, you know, where it was like, you know, everything distorted fast, loud. Um, and again, you know, growing up with, with a, a plethora of different musical influences uh, and genres. Um, yeah, I, I really like that because it does kind of cut up a little bit of, you know, just distorted guitar or drums, bass guitar. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I always enjoyed playing that one live. I've, I saw you play with them, uh, I think, just once. I've seen them without you, but um, I don't remember that song. How was it done live? Uh, just, like, clean-toned and everything? Yeah. or mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, there were probably some very uh, antsy people waiting for the song to get over. So, you know, <laughs> But uh, it made me appreciate it even more. <laughs> there were people like, oh, it's a slow one. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't think we played it very often. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed having, you know, it was nice to have that break. Kepi probably liked playing that live because it was a break from him, you know, bouncing all around. Yeah, I don't know how he did that, man, for years. Just, and still now, just bouncing around. I'm like, man. I'd have to gone through two hip surgeries and, you know, God knows what else. But yeah. Yeah. I, I jump like three times and I'm like <laughs> trying to catch my breath a little winded, you know, I went for a bike ride. I took my kids, my two boys, um, for a bike ride the other day. And, uh, my four year old, I just put them on the back, you know, I got one of those, those like behind the seat chairs, you know, and we were going and my, and my, my 11 year old Eli, he said, uh, 
hey dad let's go to amy amy's my sister let's let's go see if amy's home so we we bike all the way there but before you get to her house there's a it's on a hill it's not a real big hill but just a little bit you know and and that smart ass kid he's like you gonna be able to handle it dad (laughs) fuck so i got it i got to the top of the hill before him you know and i was really i was like really winded but i was like turned around like you're gonna make it you know and i was i almost died i swear i was <laughs> I, I was really hurt and i was like i can't oh i can't wait to go down that hill you know <laughs> i don't know how i couldn't do it you know i couldn't jump around like like cappy did i couldn't do it 20 years ago i'm certainly not gonna do it now uh, he's still doing it now i saw him last oh, yeah. year he's he's still very energetic yeah played uh the uh, riot fest was it a year or two years ago and uh, yeah, Squirt Gun uh, and and Cappy were on the the same bill in the same uh, venue, and uh, it was great to see him, you know, play again. And it was just like, yep, yeah, he's he's in it for life. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys where it's like he doesn't age. He looks the same. He doesn't gain weight. His face looks the same. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, have have you seen his Saturday morning thing? No, he does this uh, uh, like Saturday morning. Like I think I think somebody equated it to like Saturday morning cartoons. But it's just him, and he just kind of he talks a little bit, plays songs, just in his house, walks around. Oh, cool! All kinds of energy. It's super funny. Uh, it's really good. I I haven't watched it in the past couple weeks, so I don't know if he's still doing it. But pretty fun stuff. Yeah, and he's always had a really great sense of humor, and he's really good at just uh stage banter like it's not forced you know it's not like he sits around you know walking in circles pensively before getting (laughs) on stage coming up with you know zingers you know it just he's just a natural born front man yeah i I, watching those i think he's just really having fun doing it too so um especially in the time where you know you're trying to do the streaming stuff and just to be able to play music but he's you know some people it seems kind of forced but he seems like he's just really enjoying it yeah. 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 My son, Dan, my son, Miles, he's four years old. What, what, you know, just like a few months ago, he discovered Kepi. So my son's a big Smurfs fan. Uh-huh. He loves the Smurfs. He's got to watch the Smurfs all the time. And of course, Kepi's got the, the the little Smurf song, you know, and, and I played it for Miles one day and it was like his whole world changed. <laughs> it's like suddenly he was, his attention was only to that song after one listen, he's singing along to it. Even today, if I pull out my phone and play that song, he'll he'll stop what he's doing and a big smile on his face, and he will sing along. It's it's so fun to watch. And on s- Saturday mornings or something, I'll I'll pull out my phone and and he'll hear Kepi singing and he'll he'll just say Kepi's on. It's <laughs> oh, it's wow. it's really fun. It's he just loves it so. How of golden skin of blue, to be with my own ears. How of golden skin of blue, how of golden skin of blue, how of golden skin of blue. Yeah, and that's the thing with Cappy's stuff too is that it. You know, multiple generations can enjoy it. You know, it's not just like, oh, I grew out of that, or 
you know, uh, you have people from all generations and age groups that really enjoy it. Uh, next song, Graceland. This this is the song that if, if Chuck Berry was ever going to be on Scooby-Doo, like back in the 70s, this is the song that would be playing on their chase sequence, right? That's 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 awesome. I really like that analogy. I mean, that's what I think of every time. I mean, it's total Chuck Berry, but it's Scooby-Doo at the same time. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, I think originally uh, there was a part in there where uh, they wanted a keyboard solo, like more like Jerry Lee, Little Richard type of thing. And Mass had a guy who uh, was a keyboard player and asked the guy to come down, and it just didn't. It just didn't have that feel to it, so we we scrapped the the keyboard solo. But originally, that was there was supposed to be a like a old rock and roll style keyboard solo in there. I like the bass. I like that little bass, like yeah, that sounded great. Next song, I believe, is this a cover or was just written by somebody else? Maze Effect. That is Kepi's. Is it okay? Kind of one of those weird, uh, distorted, like murky sounding vocal songs. Mm-hmm. I usually don't like that, but I don't know. It, it kind of works on this one. Uh, to me, I kind of like it because it, it, to me, had a really subtle psychedelic tone uh, to it, and it kind of drony at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 still that it still sounds Ghoulies, of course, but yeah, just the the vocal effect definitely stands out. Mm-hmm. All right, evading the grays, kind of a kind of a depressing song, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, I guess trying to evade the grays and uh, and it trying to obviously you mentioned it be kind of depressing. It's like obviously not evading them enough. No, yeah, I mean it's just sort of like it just this song kind of it's kind of out of character for them. It's not a love song. It's not. You know, it's not themed like the horror theme. It's just yeah. sort of Migraine, like a regular song almost. Migraine headaches, sweaty shakes. Yeah, migraine headaches, lack of sleep. Yeah. Um, this song is about me. <laughs> it's about being in the band. <laughs> it's a catchy song. It's yeah. still that big guitar song. It's it's. I love the tempo. I love kind of slower to mid tempo a lot so well, that's what threw me off for like uh, you know for uh how many you know four or five or whatever how many years i was you know weasel and the queers it was everything was you know a bit faster so it was it took me a little while to get used to playing stuff a little bit more mid tempo and slower because mm. i was so conditioned to playing things really fast i, I think if i re-recorded my drums on reanimation festival i'd probably do a better job at it um because uh when i do practice at home uh, i'll do anything from psych punk prog to afrobeat to samba to punk rock to classic rock uh, uh you know, reggae dub ambient like all you know all this stuff and i think now i feel like the arsenal of i have of an arsenal in my drumming now than I had back then. Hmm. And I'd probably be more comfortable playing those songs and a little bit more groove to it as well. And it's probably the biggest criticism about my drumming on that. No, I have no criticism on your drumming. 
But I think if you talk about any album that I played on, I I would be like, well, and so, yeah, you know. No, I I don't think so. I think it's good, man. Well, thank you. Um, satisfy me, the song. Yeah, he's just a lonely guy, you know. He has needs. Cut his heart and it bleeds. That was always a fun one to play live. Uh, it was a good point to put that song in. I think it really just brings up the energy yeah. a little bit more. Um, okay, to go home. It's a cover, right? Yes, Daniel Johnson. Yes, who who um, died last year, I believe? Yep. Yeah. Um, I really like it, especially when it repeats at the end over and over again. Um, I really like it for its simplicity and its kind of droniness to it. I don't know the original. I, I, I'm not sure. Was was this an actual, was it released ever or was it just written for by somebody oh, else? Oh, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was written years ago. I want to say early 80s. Oh, okay. It's a, it's, it's, uh, Daniel Johnson, his stuff is uh, really, uh, like his version of it's really heartbreaking, like to me. Uh, it's very just, like his music, very vulnerable. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but those who really like his stuff really like it. And I think it's because of, um, you know, someone with deep mental illness issues uh, in creating this heartfelt, vulnerable music is, uh, yeah. Uh, I think the first time I heard it, I actually cried. Hmm. There was something so sad in it. Uh, it's, and so uplifting at the same time is one of those things where you can like i find really sad songs like minor key stuff uh uh what's the word i'm looking for here uh i find them they they bring me joy and some people like man that's a depressing song it's like really i find it really beautiful (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so his, uh, that song to me, his version is a, a bit like that where it's, it's, it's tortured, it's vulnerable, uh, you know, made me, made me cry and yet was still hopeful. Uh, and, and I guess maybe, you know, those with deep mental illness issues, uh, having all those characteristics all at the same time coming out into one song pretty amazing but yeah uh great stuff and and uh keppy turned me on to him as well yeah it's a great song i mean it it's so ghoulies it's ridiculous you know i mean that 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 melody is just so infectious well probably one of the best melodies on any ghoulies album i love it yeah, uh, I you know, uh, like I said, it's not to everyone's taste, but I would recommend anyone uh, checking out uh, Daniel Johnson's stuff. Like I said, it's you, you, it, sometimes you have to be in a certain headspace for it, but um, you know that's like that sometimes with music, where you buy something, you really look forward to it, you put it on, it's like you know I'm just not in the mood for this, and you put it away, and like months later or weeks later or days later, like oh, I got nothing to listen to, nothing's really speaking to me it's like you know what i'm gonna give this a shot and then boom it you know it all cylinders you know everything just comes together and it becomes one of your favorite albums or you know yeah
Oh, and then the the album kind of, I don't know. We say it ends on a on a on a sad note. <laughs> if you need me, this is a it's a Rolling Stone song or Wilson Pickett. I don't know who wrote yep. it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a cup. Um, it's it's more done in the style of the Rolling Stone style, and yeah. this is one that I would love to. You know, I would. This is probably the one time I really really wish I could re-record because I feel like I do it better justice now than I did then, and I think just part of it is going from really fast Ramones type type stuff for years and then all of a sudden immediately having to you know pull the brakes on that a bit and <laughs> quite a bit slower and mid-tempo stuff uh now i feel like i'd be able to do you know uh, a really fast song followed by a slower song much with much more ease than i did then yeah i mean talk about a broken hearted love song man this is yeah my favorite part of the song is Kepi's harmony. Don't wait too long. Like that harmony. Yeah. I you know I wish there were more harmonies in the the Ghoulies songs. Yeah. But yeah, that's my favorite part of the song is when he harmonizes with himself during that bit. I'm like, ooh, that's great. Yep. <laughs> that yep. makes the song for me. Yeah, I seen him do this acoustic uh, when he was in Chicago last uh, last year with uh, with the copyrights and with Dan and the Cheats. It was. Really well done. Yeah, um, I I just thought it was weird to kind of end the album with with two two covers, but they're good songs. Yeah, well, I think there was a period of time in the rock and roll format, which was vinyl. You know, ending the albums with with slower songs um, that was uh, popular for a lot of artists, where you put a ballad on there and then you start side two with a rocker. Um, you know, you put, you know, you'd start off side A with with a, a rocker, and then the third song would usually be like the one that most people would deem a single, and then you would put a slow song at the end of side one and side two, or vice versa, hmm. or you'd put the long, the long like you know bells and whistles song, uh, the last song on side two. Now this is most important, Rats. It comes down to making out. Whenever possible, put on side one of Led Zeppelin Four. It is again just you know showing my age and uh, you know like I said <laughs> you know, like sequencing albums a certain way, uh, and I still still think that's an amazing art. You know, being able to sequence an album, uh, you know whether it's thematically or you know tempo. There's a whole di- myriad of different variations, and it's definitely an art, and it's not an easy one. Yeah, no, I, I think of that sometimes because I hear I hear albums, and I'm I'm always kind of a prick about it. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, this song should have should have been last, or this song. What were they thinking? You know, why would they put this song last or that? Oh but, yeah. You know, of course, you were on. You know, you played in Screech and Weasel, so I mean, Ben's really good at sequencing albums. Oh yeah. And. uh yeah, I mean, you played on my brain hurts, so I mean, you had, I mean, that album's like fucking perfect. I mean, I mean, I kind of got spoiled early on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, playing in a band with someone like Dan, you know, like Vapid and and Ben, both uh, amazing songwriters in their own right. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you know, sometimes it was hard to, you know, like, well. I like that, but 
I'm curious how Vapid or Ben would have approached this song if it was their band. You know, sometimes it'd be like that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, when I joined Screeching Weasel, uh, I hadn't been playing drums for very long, but there were people within the, sh- the punk scene that felt like uh, I could do more as a drummer than what I was doing in Screeching Weasel. And I'm like, but, like, I don't care. I was like, I want to play songs. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, you know, I could probably, you know, add a funk thing over here or whatever. <laughs> but it, but uh, No, no you, funk. <laughs> no, no one gives a shit, you know, what I learned last week on the drums if it doesn't work in the song. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. I just like, oh, just because you learned it doesn't mean like, oh, I'm going to stick it over here and put it over here. It's like no one gives a fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, does it belong there? Does it make sense? I mean, when I put drum fills on songs, you know, it's like, okay, this is an intro to uh, this is an intro to a chorus. This is an intro to a bridge coming out of a bridge into a verse. I mean, there are reasons why I put drum fills in specific spots. Um, tried not to play over the singer too much when he was singing, so I wouldn't step over on that. There's like there's a, there's there's I guess mathematics involved into uh, into the drumming uh, where it's not just like oh I'm just gonna play whatever I want. It's like well no, it's like you know if if I play something, I try to think about like oh, what's everyone else what everyone else is playing and does it fit and does it does it step on any toes? Does it, you know, does it align with everything that's being played right now? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I think I, I can speak for Jimmy as well, but those, the albums that you played on in weasel, your drums. I mean, when you hear something like on this ghoulies record, it's like, yep, you can pick out things like that sounds like panic. Whereas like the the later Weasel albums that you didn't play on, I, I think that's partially why they're not as good. I mean, sometimes the songs weren't as good or were as good, but I, I think that you add something to the to the song. Like to just these not necessarily a drum fill, but just a little ba ba, you know? That is just mm-hmm. that it just screams Dan Panic. No, thank and, you. And I don't know if you know it or not, but I think a lot of people can can pick that shit out and like if you started a new band the people would be like yep that sounds like that sounds like what dan panic does you know what i mean jimmy does that make sense yeah no i i agree 100 percent. i mean i think there's something about that i i don't know what i guess i call the core of weasel and you know uh, those albums from you know my brain hurts through through anthem i mean there's just something about those records that are just you know, just perfect punk rock for, for the time that they were in. Um, I mean, I, I know a lot of people feel that way that, you know, all the albums that came after kind of the separation of that core group. I, I don't think even, I think a lot of people, you know, there's people that like them, but I don't think anybody ever feels they're the same as those, those early records. They're not the same. <laughs> well, you know, interesting that you mentioned that because when Jughead had his 50th, and I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but, uh, you know, I hadn't seen Jughead in 17 years. I think uh, that the same amount. And 
I think we went through two Screeching Weasel songs or three, and it was weird. It was like, it felt like home. It was like no time passed from the last time we played together, these songs. It was really, um, I wouldn't say eerie, but uh, there was something about it that was just kind of like, oh, wow. It's just like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no time passed. And it was, uh, Jughead, Vapid, and I did a, facebook thing a while back and i talked about uh during those albums i played ahead of the beat because when we would practice uh without them knowing i would play a little bit behind the beat or on the beat or ahead of the beat and i felt like with punk rock especially studio stuff sometimes you play uh behind the beat uh there's a lack of energy and propulsion in it and so uh it was my intention to play ahead of the beat to kind of give it more of a live feel and give it a little bit more push because it would play on the beat or behind the beat it lacked that tension and so yeah so that was intentional as well yeah you talked about that i think on the first time you were on the show and i'm still trying to figure out what it means exactly (laughs) you know i I, i'm a a repeat storyteller yeah no it's cool but (laughs) i mean i play along in my in my in my car you know and it's like I, i don't i don't even know what you mean but whatever it is it, it sounds awesome, man. Maybe that's what makes that those little fills just a little bit more special than uh, the average, you know, punk rock fill. <laughs> Maybe it just seemed like I really had to to urinate really bad, and I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh man, I gotta pee, I gotta pee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did watch that. I, Jimmy, did you watch that uh, Jughead's podcast with or the live stream with with all three of them? I, I did. Yeah, that it was fun. Yeah, and that's the first time in in a years where we all like were you know talked together like that. You know, since since we were all last in the band together, Screeching Weasel. So it sucks, honestly. It it does suck to listen to because you're like, oh, I wish these wish all four of these guys could could get in a room together and just bang out another album or a show, you know. And obviously, that's not going to happen, but. Oh, I would just, you know, it's dreaming, dreaming well, you know, like I, that. I, you know, and I, here I go, repeat storyteller again, not there, everybody, like, boo. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, you know, I, I think, you know, as you get older, you know, there, there were, you know, there were years where I was really angry, uh, you know, uh, and there were, there were many times where I just refused to talk about being in any of the bands that I've been in. Um, I'd get upset. And, you know, uh, I think being in a band's a really volatile existence. Um, and as you get older, at least I found that, you know, you get to a point where it's like, yeah, why hold on to this stuff for the rest of your life? Is it really that important? You know, and, uh, yeah, I just uh, there are there are certain days where I'm like, oh boy, you know. Uh, but for the most part, I would say that, you know, uh, I think a lot of the uh, the issues have a lot of them have passed, and I just feel like it's no sense of just going over that stuff over and over again, because um, it's not fair to the people that appreciate what you've done. Um, and it's and it's always sad when 
you know, a band you really care about, like you think like they're never going to get back together or they refuse to talk to each other. Or it's, like, it's just kind of sad because, you know, uh, we're not on this planet for very long. And, you know, I don't want to take any of this, you know, shit to my grave, yeah. you know, or, you know, leave it like, you know what, we can agree to disagree. Uh, but, you know, whatever, whatever band anyone is in or whatever art, it's like you did something and, you know, it affected someone out there. And that right there is that's an amazing feat. Yeah. If you can if you can brighten up somebody's day. Uh, you won. <laughs> you won. Yeah. Well, I can definitely say that the bands you have been in have uh, definitely had an effect on me for the past 25 plus years. So, I mean, that's, you know, everything from Weasel to the Riverdales to Squirt Gun. I mean, all those bands are just, for me, are, are such special bands. And I mean, it, it just, I don't know. It's kind of a strange feeling, but, it, you know, there every now and then you can, you pop on one of those albums and just listen all the way through. And it kind of takes you back to just a different time and you appreciate even more now than you did then. Wow. That, that, that means a lot, you know? And, uh, yeah, it, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, Dan, I don't know if you've heard the, the, the new screeching weasel album that came out this year. Um, yeah, I really liked it a lot. I yeah. love it. I think, yeah, totally I will tell so. you, I don't, I don't want to tell you this, but I think it's, probably the third best screeching weasel album but it's that good but at the same time when i listen to it i still have this thing in my fucking stupid head that says ah i wish vapid i wish panic i wish jughead were were able to do this with them you know yeah but i'm uh i think the lineup he has is is just solid as hell and i'm really happy that pierre finally got to play on a full-length screeching weasel album that yeah. guy he's uh, pretty good <laughs> such, such a great talent and such a sweetheart of a guy that i'm really happy for him because i know he really wants this and uh and he totally deserves it yeah and so yeah i had nothing but uh but yeah the the album is 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 great yeah and even, even the naysayers uh have had to you know give accolades i i actually love that i loved all those haters that everything ben they hated and then that album came out and silence <laughs> yeah I, I think you know and i think again you know uh ben has said this many times like you know a lot of the stuff that he posts on you know social media he said he said this uh quite a few times like it's a character that he plays yeah you know, and so people get, you know, wrapped around like, oh, he's this or he's that. And it's like, no, man, he's like he's making fun of the whole thing. And, you know, he'll go the other direction where everyone else is going just to get a rise out of people because it's easy. <laughs> you know, whether, you know, uh, you know, and there's there's a lot of that lost in punk rock, you know, uh, um, you know, not something I would want to do personally, uh, just because it'd be just exhausting and I'd probably have a nervous breakdown. Uh, but you know, uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, there's always been conformity in punk rock, but it, the whole premise of, for me and the enjoyment of it was, you know, bringing people together, but there was a little bit of upsetting people at the same time. <laughs> you know? 
there, you know, he's like, "Oh, I'm doing something right. <laughs> they hate us." <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, you know, and 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 you know, uh, to Ben's credit, you know, he he's really good at sussing out a situation and you know finding out where where people are at and and having fun with it you know uh fun for him maybe less so for uh, other people out there but you know do i do i think do i do i think he believes what a lot of stuff that he you know posts on there like no but you know but he, he makes a point as well you know he's just he's always been one you know since i remember meeting him he's always been a critic of both sides of whatever issue there was uh you can go back into uh you know just the ep pervo devo you know you go from i want to be a homosexual to she's giving me the creeps um so you know he he was really good about you know criticizing both you know both sides of the proverbial coin
right, Dan. It's been a long day. Um, thanks for hanging, man. Um, I think Thank this you guys so this, much. This is your third time on the show, so um, you'll have to come back again. That's a rule. You gotta hit four. You gotta stay even, right? It can't be odd number shit. So. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try to be the Alec Baldwin, Steve uh, Martin on SNL, you know. Uh, maybe one day I'll get my dummy room jacket. Yeah, if I ever make jackets. <laughs> my, my, my dummy room blazer is kind of like a Friars Club indoctrination thing. <laughs> All right, Dan. Um, it's always nice talking to you. You're, I'm, I always get excited to talk to you and, and like, nervously anxious because, like I said – my favorite punk rock drummer man and uh i love the albums that you have that you've been a part of and uh hopefully you you got a few more in you yeah i thought i've got something in me (laughs) good good all right man well have a good night dan thank you jimmy nate thank you so much it's been a pleasure and i look forward to uh listening to your band jimmy so thank you Thanks, Dan. Nice talking to you. And uh, hopefully you come out this way. Hopefully uh, when this COVID thing blows over, uh, we can go have a drink. And Nate, if uh, Squirt Gun plays anywhere near you. uh, I'll be there. Yeah, fans as well. All right. Thanks, Dan. Take it easy. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Bye. All right, there you go. What would you think, Jimmy, talking to to Dan Panic? It was great, man. He's played in so many great bands that i've listened to and i know you've listened to and yeah just hearing him talk about uh you know working on that ghoulies album and you know just going into some detail on some of the other bands he's been in it's just a great experience to hear him talk about it yeah the first time uh we had him on i was like super super nervous you know because it's like he's one of those guys you know one of the legends one of my favorites and uh you know he's become kind of a, a kind of a friend. So now when he's on, I just he's got a certain energy to him, and uh, he's really he's really humble, of course, and just down to earth. And I just I love talking to him. I get really excited. He's one of my favorite people. So yeah. Anyways, uh, this was uh, episode one twenty eight. I think I think I got that right this time. And uh, yeah, man. But I got to get out of here. I am going to. Uh, of course, we'll be in touch. Everybody tune into uh, T1 Fest coming up. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Saturday, October 24th, uh, 5 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time. So yep. uh, check it out. Got a lot of great uh, bands coming on. So it's going to be a great show. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you later, Jimmy. Thanks, Nate. All right, bye. Bye.